Our first guest is Melissa Fagan. Melissa is a writer and editor based in Brisbane, where she also teaches and lectures in creative writing courses at UQ and QUT. Her fiction and non-fiction have been published in Overland, Kill Your Darlings, Mianjin, Q Weekend, and others. Wasn't it Frank Morehouse who said of Mianjin that it was Aboriginal for, um, for, for um, Brisbane. not being published oh. in New Yorker? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've heard that. <laughs> Sorry, that horrible thing to say. Um, um, at various times throughout her life, she says on her website she has worked as a receptionist, a data entry clerk, call centre operator, market research telephonist, telephonist and editorial assistant. She has, she writes, had a lot of shitty jobs. <laughs> but I've also had some really great ones, and this seems clear because she's travelled a lot, most recently to Kyrgyzstan and China. In 2018, she started a practice-led PhD in travel writing with Curtin University and the University of Aberdeen. In that same year, she published What Will Be Worn, a McWhirter story, which is what we're talking about today. So please welcome Melissa to Melanie. So thank you, Melissa, for, for coming here. I, I, the more I read this book, the more I got the feeling that the story is not really so much about McQuirt as the business as McQuirt as the family. And that within that, there are at least for you several important strands. Firstly, your grandmother and your grandfather, Joan and Sterling, and the effect their lives had on your mother. And secondly, I guess your mother's story. And then finally, and most importantly, really your own story and how it, it's kind of all affected you. At the same time, there is kind of always behind it, this kind of this, this, this matrix in which all this kind of occurs is McWhirtus the business. So perhaps you'd like to tell the audience a little bit about McWhirtus and, and, and you know, what they were and what yep. the secret of their success was. Well, there's probably a lot of people here in the audience who are more familiar with uh, the McWhirtus business, uh, at least personally, than uh, I am. I know I've spoken to one person who had, you know, sort of fond memories of going to McWhirtus in the 60s. Uh, but, you know, it started 1898, my great-great-grandfather and his son, my great-grandfather, started McQuirter and Son in um, Brunswick Street in Fortitude Valley. At that point it was just a single sort of shop front, 33 feet wide. And over the next 30 years uh, sort of built it into McQuirter's, you know, sort of emporium. And it was a business that kept going until the 50s when it was sold to Maya, but it traded as McQuirter's for a lot longer than that. So it really sort of is embedded in that fabric of Brisbane um, retail and also Queensland because they had a massive mail order business. So they, you know, delivered everywhere in Queensland, northern New South Wales, New Guinea as well. So, I mean, but they were, so, and the, you, that huge block that takes yes. place between Wickham Street and, yep. and, sorry, what's the cross? I don't Brunswick, think, yeah, Brunswick Street. Brunswick Street. So, yeah. I mean, that's an extraordinary story in itself yes. in the way that they managed to build up that yep. business. Do, do you know what the secret of their success was? I think, well, it was timing, obviously. You know, sort of, I think the growth of department stores happened in the first, you know, the early you know, 20th century, um, you know, imagining my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather and looking back at his history, he was 50 when he finally went into business, so I think there was patience, you know, involved in waiting for the right time. And then land speculation, I believe, you know. They had a dairy farm out at Sanford, uh, which, one of the first dairy farms out there and sold that land, which I assume helped them build the business and also land at Hendra 
um, again, they subdivided and, you know, it's the Australian story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it kind of, I mean, and, and that's interesting that you should say that, because it, but the, the kind of, when you describe it, it speaks to it, somehow a grander era for yeah. Brisbane than the one that we're accustomed to. The, 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 these fabulous houses on the river with these sort of acreages down to, down to the edge of the water and things like that, yeah? Well, yeah, I guess it was the luxury of fewer people and more opportunities uh, that people, you know, sort of immigrants... I mean, it, it still happens, obviously, but I think that sort of coming over here from Scotland as they did and, uh, you know, taking the most of opportunities and, and really building a lives for themselves and... Um, yeah, but it's a combination of factors always. You know, it's hard work, but it's, yeah, very much that timing, I think, of department store really coming into play at that time. You know, you think about department stores now and, you know, there's there's two left and they're sort of hanging on by the, you know... The skin of the yeah. Teeth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the story, your story that we're talking about in, in What Were We Worn yeah. really comes into play with your grandmother, Joan, yes. and her husband, Sterling, Yeah. yeah? From all, I mean, Joan. There's also something a little bit confusing in the book because Joan is sometimes referred to as Connie as well. Yes. So you have, you have to kind of remember that there are there are there are two people yes. with the same name here. Yeah. I mean, or, or one person with two names. Yeah. There, she, from all accounts, was a, a quite a difficult woman. Well, yes, but that's funny. I've, I've met someone here tonight who um, whose mother was a nanny for my mother, um, who remembered my grandmother quite fondly. Uh, so, you know, it's difficult. She was difficult. The woman that I knew was very difficult and I think a lot of the driving force behind this story was to try and understand why and what happened to her that made her that way. And I think it was, it was very much the public um, sort of that sort of, you know, she lucked out. She married an heir. Um, and not, you know, she was a girl from Gympie that moved to Brisbane. Um, you know, she wasn't a debutante. She wasn't from a particularly good family. But she managed to, you know, sort of marry into the McWhirter family. Uh, which I guess was, you know, a young girl's dream at that point in time, you know, 1940. Uh, but the, um, the relationship didn't last and, you know, the, the divorce and uh, custody battle that occurred in the 50s was very public and very scandalous and, you know, she was a fallen woman after that. Yeah. So, I mean, she, you, what you're saying is she had reasonable excuse to be difficult yeah. when, you, when you come across <laughs> I think her, she yeah? carried. Look, I, I think she carried that with her, but... You know, potentially she was... It's diff You know, it's funny, you go back and you write about family members as characters in a way because I don't know her as a young woman, so I've had to reimagine her and it's a fine line to try and tread. Um, there wasn't something that presented itself to me that was, in her childhood anyway, that was, you know, sort of clearly marked why she was what she was. It was possible that she just had that personality, that she was a ballsy woman and she was, you know ballsy women in those times, particularly if, you know, you weren't, you know, sort of from the right part of society, um, it was a difficult path for them. Yeah. yeah. And the difficult path is kind of summed up by Sterling. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So he was, you know, the youngest son of the family and, you know, a bit hopeless. To put, it, to put it mildly. No, well, he had certain gifts for... He had a gift for gambling. Well, for a short period of time, <laughs> he had a gift for gambling, yeah. Apparently, he won... You know, the stories that floated around when I was a child of him winning, like, sort of massive amounts on a single day. So he was prepared to bet big, but then he also lost big in a very short period of time. 
So, um, and, and he actually lost the fortune. Was he that... did, yeah. So, you know, he was the largest shareholder in McQuarters at one point in time. Um, but within the space of about five years in the late 40s, early 50s, uh, that all disappeared, um, I believe, to pay bookmakers' debts. Uh, I mean, he ended up as a kind of roustabout on farms out west. Is that right? He did, yeah. He was sent... I think the family sort of had an intervention in the 1950s when, the, when the, my grandparents were still married and there was a decision made that he should go and work as a shed hand um, on shearing stations, maybe to sort him out but also to earn, you know, sort of a proper wage. And he did a lot of sales, you know, he did some travelling salesman jobs and, and stuff as well, but he never seemed to be able to you know, sort of stay in a job for very long after he quit McQuarters. So he did work for McQuarters at a point in time, but there was a difference of opinion with the management and, uh, you know, he went, you know, he, re he resigned or was sacked. Not sure which. <laughs> and he died before you were born, didn't yes, he? Yeah. yeah. So you, you never actually met Sterling. So Sterling is kind of this character who... who kind yeah. of, who, the mythological character who kind of represents in some way... Yeah. The, 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 the loss of McWhirters, yeah? Yeah, very much so. And I could see his character, maybe because I didn't know him, I could see his character a lot more clearly. But also, you know, it was a very... That sort of the narrative trajectory of his life. He was born into a very wealthy family, the youngest of five, but he lost his parents very young. His father died when he was three, his mother died when he was eight. He was raised by, you know, my mother called them the maiden aunts, but they were his maternal grandmother and her stepdaughter. Um, in boarding schools, and then he lost siblings as well. So he had a lot of loss, and uh, but he was very, you know, he was very wealthy, and he got wealthier. You know, the more loss that he had, the more money that he had, um, until he gambled away. So you know, there's a lot at work there. <laughs> and World War, you know, he served in World War Two as well. You know, who knows what that experience had, you know, okay. what effect that had on him as well. One of the things, though, that he passed on to your mother was uh, a love of gambling. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Do you want to talk to that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I've written about that extensively in the book. I mean, that was, you know, it was interesting sort of one of the, I suppose, going back and writing a family story and seeing what patterns repeat um, through generations, I don't gamble. Um, but I grew up with it, you know, as part of the fabric. What I think, again, is like, I think in a lot of sort of going back in Australian families, that's, you know, the, the radio's on 2KY because I was in Sydney every Saturday. I can memorise my mum's phone tab number and, it would, you know, she would be at the... T if we didn't know where she was, she would be at the TRB and that's just what we knew. And then when I was talking to her, she had very similar memories of her father. Um, you know, of course, he was gambling on his own racehorses, um, and particularly one called Pendulum, which, you know, as a writer, I was sort of drawn to that idea of, oh, my God, he won and lost on a horse called Pendulum, you know. <laughs> I mean, what, actually, one of the more poignant points of the book for me is that the description of the tab on a kind of Saturday afternoon, mm. those, those smoke-filled rooms, yes. and, and, and your mother's... I don't know her mother's your mother's confidence in that in that in that particular milieu. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. You know, obviously having the experience as a child of my mother as a gambler and then as an adult trying to recreate what it was like for her and also talking to her because she, you know, she was an accomplice in this book. Like she she knows what I what I wrote, um, and it was you know she she ended up 
you know, married with three young kids in suburbia and, um, you know, didn't have a career and that was her, her outlet, you know. In, in a weird way, it was where she had found her sense of self with a group of mates that were not connected to, you know, her marriage or, you know, her kids. Um, and there was a real sort of sense of confidence that she had in that environment uh, that she loved, you know. Unfortunately, there were, you know, bad consequences at certain points in time, but also she... Yeah, it's a funny thing about gambling. You know, I think maybe with gamblers you only hear about the wins. You know, it seemed to me as a child that my mother was extraordinarily lucky. <laughs> because you'd always hear, you know, oh, we've got this new, you know, VCR or, you know, whatever it is that she, she's won. But she used to win raffles a lot as well. Like, it was really quite bizarre. Although I, I guess she entered everything. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so you, you're accustomed to bringing the meat tray home on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Yes, no, it was uh, Bollinger, actually, she used to win regularly. Yeah, a dozen Bollinger, yeah. <laughs> Much but, more. With uh, I mean, when you look at this kind of heritage, one of the things I, I kind of get in the book is you have a real ambivalence towards your heritage. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in Sydney and um, my grandparents were divorced, so I knew my grandmother as Joan McWhirter. Uh, but there was a severance, I guess, with the McWhirter side of the family. So coming back and sort of trying to reclaim that was a, was a strange, ultimately rewarding experience, actually. I didn't realise. I thought, oh, here I am. I'm coming in. I'm the descendant of the black sheep. Uh, but I, and I didn't want to write um, sort of a book that, you know, was this sort of retelling of the, the rise of the business. I could, couldn't write that book. That's not my book to write. Uh, but I had to acknowledge it because there was a sense of pride about that. Yeah. But also, you know, my story was about, you know, yeah, they were shafted by society and, you know, how did that happen and what, were the, what was the legacy for my mother and for, for me and growing up. Mm. Um, the, which is, I mean, the book opens with a, a scene where you and your mother are sitting on the terrace bar of a, yeah. a, a... I'm not quite sure which the bar is, in the valley somewhere. You're sitting there looking at the McQuirtas building. Yeah. yeah? So, so there is a kind of sense of that. And, and it seems to be more important to you than to your mother, the way you describe that scene. I think, you know, they, again, it's that, you know, she was 11 when her parents separated uh, and, you know, there was a lot of, I guess they were sort of separate from the McWhirter stuff even before then probably. Yeah. Um, you know, they moved from Ascot to Indrapilly uh, to the other side of the river, so that was, that was big. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think when, I don't know, I guess when people explore, you know, it was a traumatic you know, experience, um, you know, I think a middle class sort of trauma is kind of a soft, a bit of a soft landing. Um, but there was a period there that would have been very confusing for her and her siblings as a young person. And I think that's probably caused a bit of a, you know, sort of a bit of a black hole. And it's a long time ago. You know, you think as a writer, you can go back and start prodding people and going, you must remember this, you were there. And it's like, you know, it's not always there. <laughs> there, there was a, I was, uh, there's a, a line early in the book which kind of sparked my curiosity. It's a bit of a kind of obscure thing, but mm. I'm going to bring it up because I'm, okay. I'm curious about it, okay? Because you're, you're in southwest Scotland in Ayrshire, yes. right? Looking out across the Firth of Clyde towards the Isle of Arran. I have to say, I grew up. 
to 10 miles away from there. So I, I know the view you were looking at. And you say that the island, lying low on the horizon, faint and dreamlike in the distance, seemed to act as such places often do as a repository for my longing. Mm. And, I mean, it stopped me in my tracks, this line. I, I don't know what it was meant to, but it, I, just, I wonder what you meant by it. By, you know, what is it that, you know, why such places evoke this feeling and, and what that longing is for? Oh, that's a big question. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's something about... I, I know from my experience of, you know, I, I went over, first went to Scotland in 97 or 98 or something. I think there's that, this strange thing of being, you know, sort of a third or fourth generation Australian as I am, but knowing that your roots are somewhere over there and going there and sort of expecting or wanting this connection and thinking, is it here? Am I feeling it? I'm not really sure. Um, so I think it's maybe something along those lines. So, so in some ways, you've, kind of, you've been looking for some... Through the history of, of your family and this heritage, you're kind of looking for some part of yourself. Yeah, of, co- yeah, of course, very much so. And I, I was aware of that the first time I went to Scotland, you know... Um, before I'd even, you know, my grandmother was still alive at that point, I wasn't even really thinking about this story and I went to Scotland uh, a couple of times actually. I went out to the Alder Hebrides and then I went back later with my mother and I was really aware of that. And strangely, you know, my last name's Fagan, it's Irish, but um, Scotland for some reason had that pull for me that I, I don't know why, you know, that I was looking for something there always, you know, and then I ended up writing this story. <laughs> And, and, a, and a really fascinating story it is, too. Thank, yeah. thank you so much for coming oh, and talking you, to Stephen. us, Melissa. It's a really great pleasure to have you here. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs>